What I'm going to do today is continue in the book of Colossians and do a kind of vision preach as well as go through the verses that we're going to look at. It's amazing what vision will do. I heard a story about a man who worked in the Rolls-Royce factory and he had quite a mundane job actually. He, I guess he was bolting one bit onto another and bolting up one bit onto another and bolting one bit on another. And when someone came up to him and said, describe to me your job, he didn't say, I bolt that onto that. He says, I make Rolls Royce. I make champion cars. I make the most amazing car in the world. He didn't limit his part to say, yeah, I just bolt that on, I repeat that, and I repeat that and go home. He says, no, I make Rolls Royce. He'd been captivated by a vision. He was part of something huge, of making these amazing uh, cars. Apparently in Japan, just after the war, they developed a um, system in their factories that every worker was empowered to understand the vision of what they were making. And that if any worker found uh, something that was being manufactured that didn't meet the standard, every worker was empowered to pull a cord to stop the conveyor belt so that the standard would be reached. Every worker was so envisioned with, this is what we're making, we're making something excellent and amazing, you're all empowered to stop the conveyor belt if anything is substandard. That's what it means to be full of vision. To understand that we're a people on a mission fueled by a vision, living to bring heaven to earth. (coughs) An empowered people where every single person knows whatever they contribute is all contributing to this, more of heaven on earth more of the grace, the power, the goodness of God manifest. The Apostle Paul was a man of incredible vision. And in the verses we're going to look at, we just see how vision guided him, how vision showed him what to say yes to, what to say no to, how his vision would cause him to know when he needed to, as it were, pull the cord and say, something's gone wrong here, (laughs) something needs to be confronted here, something needs to be changed here. That how his vision enabled him to do that. So I'm going to read a few verses and we'll dip in and out of these verses. It's in, we'll start in chapter 1 and we're in verse uh, 28 of the book of Colossians. So chapter 1 and verse 28. And I want you to see this is Paul talking about his vision. This is Paul talking about what some people say is the invisible manager. The thing that tells you what to say yes to, what to say no to, where you give your time, when you confront and when you step back, the thing that dictates the whole of his life, the thing that meant that even when he was in prison with Silas, he was still captivated by a vision that caused him to sing hymns at night. And it says this, he is the one we proclaim. He's captivated by Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. If you would come to the Apostle Paul and say, what are you doing, Apostle? What are you about? What are you building? What's your life vision? What's causing you to say yes and no. He would say, this is what it's all about. I proclaim, preach, teach about Jesus. 
And everywhere I go, every location I'm in, every local church I serve, every uh, environment I find myself, I want everyone who believes in Jesus to be a mature believer. To be a mature believer. Maturity can be defined as this. I'm living out the reality of Christ. My lived out natural behaviour is becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That the maturity is not that I've got a list of rules and do's and don'ts and things I have to do. But actually my natural lived out instinct is becoming more and more shaped and conformed to Christ. That's maturity. And so Paul would say, I'm working for that. He would be energetic, he would be zealous, he would be passionate, he would contend for every believer to enjoy the fullness of what it means to be in Christ. To know that their sins are forgiven, to know that they have freedom, to know that every believer is a big person. Every believer is big, that's what maturity means. I know who I am in Christ, I know what the cross has done for me. I know that I have forgiveness. I know that I have freedom. I know that I have an identity. I'm a big person. That's what God is doing this day as well. People say, are you building a big church? I love to say, no, we're building big people. And actually we know that every story, every individual getting saved is a great story. So we want to grow and we want the place to be packed and full. And we want problems of fitting everyone in. But the goal, the end goal, is not to fill this place four or five times. The end goal is that every believer knows that they're a big person in Christ, is assured of their forgiveness, overflowing with thanksgiving, knitted together in love, big people who know who they are. That's the goal. Because our vision is a people living to bring heaven on earth. That's our vision. And our passion is... Plumstead will never be the same again. Thamesmead will never be the same again. Abbeywood will never be the same again. Welling will never be the same again. Bexley will never be the same again. Because there was a bunch of believers who were big believers. And so Paul would say he would work strenuously, energetically, vigorously, contending to proclaim Christ. That was his, his mission, his vision. And that's ours. So everything we do, everything we do is intentional. Everything we do is intentional that you and me might mature in Jesus. That our lived out behaviour might conform more and more and more to the reality of the gospel. That we might progressively live out who we already are in Christ. That's our vision. And Paul would at times lock horns with things that would distract people from Jesus. So he says in chapter 1, I want you, or chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have, who we, whom we have not met, who have not met me personally. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So that you may know the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by bowing sounding arguments. So Paul's written this book 
Because his goal is to present Jesus and his goal is maturity in Christ. And there were things that were happening to the Colossian believers that were actually out to take them away from their joy and take them out of assurance and take them out of being fully convinced. Things that were actually going to hinder them being mature. And so he says in this book, I'm going to lock horns with that. I'm going to vigorously oppose anything that gets in the way of people being fully mature. I'm going to contend strenuously with anything that might stop the believer growing into being a big person. And so this book outlines some of those. It says in verse um, 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. He's going to oppose that. He says in verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, or new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are the shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. He says in verse verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though... Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Then he says in verse 23, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So Paul is saying these things are opposing maturity in Christ. He's saying, look... When I find these things, I'm going to lock horns with them, I'm going to battle with them, I'm going to be aggressive about them, I'm going to oppose them, I'm going to confront them, because they stop people being big in Christ. So he says, I will oppose anything that stops people being mature, full of joy, full of hope, full of love, growing up in abounding in thankfulness. And in that whole list of things, he's talking about deceptive tricks deceptive tricks things like a list of rules that says you need to do these things you need to do X Y and Z and if you don't God's not going to be pleased with you (coughs) he's talking about self made religion where we think that in order to be right with God We need more than Christ. That Christ isn't enough. And so Paul says, I oppose those deceptive tricks. Anything of religiosity or rules. Empty rules. In the past, people would... Religious movements would even encourage people, if you sin, you need to beat your body physically. Have you ever seen that in movies? Maybe it's the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> and they find someone who's transgressed or sinned or got it wrong. And they don't point them to Christ, they point them to a harsh treatment of themselves. And Paul says, no, that distracts from Christ. Harsh treatment, severe self-discipline, legalism, treadmills of religious activity to add to the finished work of Christ. All these things stop people being big. 
So maturity isn't being busy doing religious activities. Maturity isn't being busy keeping a list of rules. Maturity is not being harsh on yourself if you don't keep your own standard. Maturity isn't beating yourself up constantly because you feel you've not met the mark. Maturity will leave you feeling despairing, hopeless and uncertain about your standing before God. The Bible talks about there is a spirit that accuses that will say, you were this close to a breakthrough, but you only prayed for 10 minutes instead of 15. He would have met you in the five. (laughs) Well done on your fast, but the freedom was found in one more day, and you ate a marshmallow on that day. Well done for reading the Bible, but it really was three chapters. That's where the breakthrough was. You only read two verses. So Paul would lock horns with anything that says you can only celebrate what's perfect. Whereas in Christ, he just celebrates process. And steady steps. So you might think, oh, I I want to have more joy. And you say, I'm going for more joy. And then you have a moment that's gloomy and melancholic. And the accusing, harsh voice comes and says, oh, call yourself joyful. Yeah, you had three days of joy. But there was some despair in there. Rotter. God says, well done. You had three days of joy. You didn't even used to have any. Well done. Celebrate celebrate the three days. Grace is working on the fourth. Amen. And so Paul in these verses is confronting people who have got, they're not really certain of what Jesus has achieved. And they're thinking it's about don't taste, don't touch, don't do, don't go there. And not realising that the finished work is the finished work. So he says, in Christ in verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's the whole of God. The whole of infinite God. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have been brought to fullness. The moment you come to Christ, you are brought to fullness in that moment. And then you grow into who you already are. And you see the transformation as you renew your mind. And you become more and more living out the fullness that you already have. But it's not that your (coughs) behaviour is making you more full. It's that your behaviour is being transformed by the renewing of the mind and then you're entering into who you already are. And so maturity isn't being really, really busy. Maturity is believing, not performing. Believing, not performing. It's believing who I am. 
And it's what we're growing into on the streets. It's what we're learning. It's where we're at. We're like baby toddlers. Maybe we're like crawling and learning we could crawl. And because we're realising that actually the key to it is believing, not performing. It's not trying to perform spiritual. We already are spiritual. It's not trying to perform like a believer. It's actually believing who we already are. That we carry solutions, that we carry answers, that we carry wisdom, that we carry the power to raise the dead, we carry the power to heal the sick. We carry the connection with God because we've already got the fullness to prophesy life wherever we go. And it's not this harsh treatment of the body that Paul is opposing. It's not, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, don't keep these rules, these man-made things that have an appearance of wisdom. No, you already have the fullness right now. So engage with God and engage with what is already true. It's celebrating who you are in Christ and what Jesus has done. And it's seeing those beliefs overflow, assured, abounding in thankfulness. He says that in verse 6 of chapter 2. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflow with thanks. Thankfulness. So this is our vision, our mission for us as a local church. That every believer would bloom. That's really the mission. That every believer would display Christ. That every believer would be Assured of who they are in Christ and their identity as, as beloved, forgiven, as accepted, as free men and women, as adopted, as brought home, as being loved by the Father, of having access and intimacy with God, of understanding that their life can impact the world in incredible ways wherever they go, that every believer would bloom, and that everybody's increasingly their thoughts and words and actions would line up with Christ. That we're all growing. That we're all growing upwards. They're all growing more and more mature. See, everything we do is to help one another grow in maturity. So that thought, words and deeds do line up. So that we are blooming. We make a lot of focus upon our thought life lining up with Christ. That's why we do the Lent neg- negativity fast. That's why we do Thursdays, igniting hope. That's why we focus on dreaming and connecting to a really good father and imagining and asking. Because we know that the transformed mind brings metamorphosis so that we transform increasingly into who we already are. So we put a whole emphasis on declarations, on speaking the truth. That's why we produce, we put courses on like Keep Your Love On, so that our emotions can line up with who we are, so that we can realise we're powerful people, we're not victims of any person or any environment or any circumstance. That our emotions can line up with Christ, recognising with the head, not the tail, recognising that God has solutions and strategies, recognising that we're not defined by our past experience, but we're defined by who God calls us and what God names us. That's what defines us. And then we can display Christ. And then all of this gets outworked in community. 
It gets outworked in being rooted, built up, established, and knitted together in love. This wonderful thing of Christ being put on display to the thousands who live in this area. Let's just wait on God, see what more he wants to do.